I know it's a holiday weekend, and most people kind of uh, view this as the official end of summer. But let me also say this. It is not the end of summer. Summer officially ends, I think, on September 22nd. So we will be doing what we've been doing throughout the summer. I know we've got some people visiting here. We've got some people joining us online. Uh, and again, let me say, as I say every week, if you're joining us online, Facebook Live, we welcome you. We know lots of our regular people are gone taking advantage of the holiday weekend and being out of school last week, so they get a little extra vacation. Uh, you'll pay for that, I guess, at some point. But nevertheless, uh, they're taking advantage of a long week and a long weekend. So we welcome you. And let me also say this. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, take a moment and share this from our page to your page. I say this every week because, again, it just multiplies the people that are exposed to the message that you're going to be hearing this morning. And let me say, today is a message that you will want to share with other people and you're going to pick up what I'm putting down in just a few moments when we get to the content. Because, again, this is one of the biggest, most important questions that I have people asking me on a weekly, on a daily basis. So welcome to those who are joining us online. Let me welcome you guys. And let me also say this. Uh, we're going to continue the next couple of weekends of doing what we've done all summer. And that's actually going back, and we call it throwback summer at Crossroads. In other words, what we've done is we've gone back, and we've gone back and visited some of the, the worship songs that many of us kind of grew up with, late 90s, the 2000s, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And we've gone back and done some of those things that we haven't heard in a while because, again, we've kind of moved on, and we've kind of progressed a little uh, uh, forward, and, and we're doing different songs, newer songs now. Uh, and, again, there's nothing wrong with the new songs. It's just sometimes so settling uh, and so affirming to go back and listen to a song that maybe you haven't heard for years. Like you're going to hear one at the end of the day's message that is one that I remember as one of the first contemporary Christian songs that I really kind of was clinging to. It was one of those song, songs that I really kind of gravitated to. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll continue doing what we call Throwback at Crossroads, uh, and we'll be singing some of those songs. But again, this is not the official end of summer. Now, most of you know that last weekend, I finished our, our True or False series, and most of you are probably aware that I was really inclined to do something that I don't normally do at the end of a message. And again, the last three weeks, I was really inclined to tell you that you need to understand with the events that we see happening in our world today, you and I are, in my opinion, we are seeing what I would say is the book of Revelation actually playing out in front of us. Uh, again, you look at the events, you look at the things that are happening, and, it, and it's almost, you know, knowing a little bit about the Bible, knowing a little bit about Bible prophecy, I kind of feel like, you know, this is kind of where we've been. We're watching Revelation actually play out in front of us. And, and the last three weeks, I was really, really kind of, not forceful, but I, I was really, really uh, strategic to tell you that, you know, you really need to evaluate life and you need to evaluate your life and you need to really make sure that you are getting your house in order. Get your life right with God. And again, you, you, you know, if you were here over the last three weeks, that that, that that's not something that I do on a regular basis. I, I do it on a regular basis, but not in the way that I've done it the last three weeks. Uh, so with that in mind, I realize that when I, as a pastor or a, a leader, when I kind of say something that's out of the ordinary or something that, you know, giving a hint to, 
to, to life and the book of Revelation, I realize that when you talk about uh, the, the second coming, the, the rapture, I realize that even giving a hint to that, uh, that gets a lot of people excited. I mean, you, you have this one group over here who get really excited, and, and then you have this other group over here who, when you talk about, you know, the end times or the rapture or the return of Christ, it's totally scary. And then there's another group kind of somewhere in the middle that, you know, they kind of think, well, he's just trying to manipulate us. I mean, he's just trying to manipulate people. And again, you're going to find yourself in one of those three groups. You're going to be excited about the rapture. You're going to be excited about living in the end times or the last days. You're going to be scared about what might happen because there's uncertainty that's associated with that. Or you might feel that people like me in the position that I have, you might feel that I'm trying to manipulate you and to scare you and, and, and to push you in ways that you don't want to go. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand this morning regardless of what group you find yourself in, I want you to understand, I totally can understand the way that you feel. But here's the other thought side of that. I'm one of those people who get really excited about what the Bible says as it relates to the end times. That's kind of what I've alluded to the last three weeks. Get things in order. Be ready. You never know what's going to happen. So with that in mind, here's the question we're going to look at this morning. The question is this, are we living in the end times? Are we living in the end times? Does anyone in the room think about that? Just look at the question behind me. When somebody starts talking about the rapture, when somebody starts talking about the second coming of Christ, when you see a question like, are we living in the end times, does that in your spirit, does that in your soul, does that in your personality, does that bring up questions that you have as it relates to what, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What does the end times really look? I mean, we all have questions. And, and let me just say, this can really be a tough question because like we've seen happen over the last couple of weeks with the events in Afghanistan, uh, when something happens in the Middle East, when something happens around the world, all of a sudden it's like the subject of the end times comes up and it's right on the forefront of people's minds. In other words, you have all of these different events happening in our world as a whole, but then you have something really concentrated in the Middle East and it's almost like naturally the end times becomes a subject that a lot of people have on their mind. You have something crazy happen in our world, and not only that, then it's almost instantly the sale of books on prophecy go out of the roof. Because people want to know, are we living in the end times? Are these the last days? People want to know and they want to understand what the Bible says. So the books are starting to fly off the shelves so people get a grasp of what's happening in our world as it relates to the Bible, as it relates to the rapture, as it relates to the second coming of Christ. And then the events kind of die down. And the interest kind of tends to just ride off into the sunset. But here's our reality this morning. The Bible has a lot to say about the end times. 
The Bible has a lot to say about the return of Jesus. And those are things I have referenced very firmly over the last three weeks. And knowing that the Bible has a lot to say, I want to be totally honest with you this morning, and I want you to hear me. Because I will only begin to scratch the surface as it relates to the subject that we're going to look at this morning. So here's the question I want to start with this morning. Do you think we are living in the last days? That's kind of the question behind the question. Do you think that we're living in the last days? So if we know that's the question behind the question, are we living in the last days? I think there's a very clear answer that can be found when it comes to this question. In the Bible, it talks about this issue on a particular day. The Bible tells us that there is a particular day when the actual Holy Spirit came to the earth. Because when we look in the Bible, when we see the the Holy Spirit coming to the earth, the Bible actually gives us a, a day. It references this day, and the Bible calls the day that the Holy Spirit came, it calls it the day of Pentecost. So let me give you some context. Jesus has already risen from the tomb. Jesus has already gone back to heaven. The disciples have gathered in Jerusalem. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes. All of these people from all of these different places, all of the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem. And people are talking, people from different languages, different tribes, different tongues. They're all talking. And here's what's interesting. Even though they spoke different languages, each one could understand what the other was saying, even though they didn't speak the same language. So they question, and they wonder what's going on. And Peter, the apostle, gets up, and he addresses the crowd, and when he does, What he's about to say is actually Peter the Apostle quoting from the Old Testament. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Peter says, In the last day, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Now leave that up there just a moment. Because when Peter says that, Peter is actually referencing something that you will find in the Old Testament. Because the prophet Joel actually says that that day is coming. What is the prophet Joel talking about when he says that day is coming? He's talking about the last days. And you're going to know that the last days are here. Because the Holy Spirit who in the Old Testament was reserved for certain people at certain times in certain moments. But the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all of God's people. So here's the thing. When you see that happen, you're going to know that the last days have arrived. 
This is what Peter says when he addresses the crowd. So what you're looking at behind me, what, what we're talking about right now, on the day of Pentecost, that's what Peter says. Peter says that instead of the Holy Spirit being reserved for certain situations and certain people at certain moments at certain times, the Holy Spirit is now available to anyone who follows God. So listen to what I'm saying. The last days. Are we living in the last days? That's the question. The last days, according to Scripture, began right there at Pentecost. So the next obvious question is this. If the last days happened 2,000 years ago, then how could we still be living in the last days? Now think about that. If the last days happened or started at Pentecost, how is it possible that we're still living in the last days? I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you how. The way that we could still be living in the last days is because God's perspective on time is different than your perspective on time. The perspective that God has as it relates to time is totally different than the perspective that I have as it relates to time. Let me, let me, let me help you think about this. We're about to enter the most sacred time of the year. Started this week. Football season. <laughs> I mean, you people just kill me. You live for that stuff. I don't know a quarterback from a center. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I know a little bit about, can I just say this? And, and, and I'm not trying to get on anybody's side or I'm not trying to ruffle anybody's feathers. I did watch a little football yesterday afternoon as I was going through my message and looking at my notes. And I will tell you this again, I'm not taking sides. I'm just going to tell you Alabama's going to be tough. I don't know what Nick Saban does down there, but whatever he does, he seems to do it right. And I watched it, and I was amazed at what I saw. So they're going to be tough, but, but let, let, me get, let me give you an instant. Let, let's say that you're a football fan, or let's say that you have a football fan in the family. Now, now, now most of the time, if you're a wife uh, or, or, or somebody in the family, you're going to have somebody that's glued to the television when Tennessee or, or whoever's playing, uh, you know, whoever it is that's playing. And, and you're going to ask them because you maybe have hors d'oeuvres or maybe you have a dinner fixed or maybe you have company coming over and you're going to say something like, Can you how, how many more minutes is left in the game? And what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, there, there's two or three minutes left. Let me just help you understand that. When there's two or three minutes left in the game, that doesn't mean that that two or three minutes is going to last two or three minutes. Can I get an amen? Am I right? I mean, that two or three minutes could actually turn into an hour 
of football because you have timeouts, you have strategic planning, you have TV timeouts, you have all of these things that are going to happen. The clock says two minutes. That means 120 seconds. But 120 seconds doesn't actually mean it's going to be 120 seconds. Are you following me? That's the way that God views time. Two minutes is not the same as 120 seconds on your watch. And part of what the Bible is telling us as it relates to the last days, as it relates to the end times, the Bible is giving, it's dropping the knowledge on us that we need to learn, we need to understand God's perspective as it relates to time. Because God's perspective on time is different than my perspective on time. As a matter of fact, here's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at the screen behind me and you're going to see it. It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. We have a finite perspective of time, but God does not. So knowing that, listen to me, listen, listen, listen. So knowing that God views time different than we do, a thousand years as as a day, and a day is as a thousand years, we are still living in the last days. When did the last days begin? The last days began with Pentecost. Since the time of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all those in Jerusalem, and it's now available to all of us, we've been living in the last days. What that means is that everything that needed to be done, everything that needed to take place before the return of the Lord, it's all happened. We're not waiting on anything because everything has taken place. Now think about that, all redemptive history. God's selection of the people of Israel to be kind of a, a model of community, to tell us what community was supposed to look like. And then the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus to the earth, born as a babe in Bethlehem, his teachings, his resurrection, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. All of those things have happened. All of those things have transpired so that we can understand that he could return at any moment, any time. So it brings us to a question. And the question that many people have is, okay, when exactly is that going to happen? If we're talking about the return of Jesus, when exactly is it going to happen? Well, in my experience, people in the church and sometimes out of the church, they tend to have two responses to the question. The question, when is Jesus coming back? 
Because when you look at the question, when is Jesus coming back? One of the things that you have to realize is on the one hand, we talk about Jesus coming back. You have all these people over here on this side who are all obsessed with the whole business of prophecy in the end times. And when you talk about the question, when is Jesus coming back, you have all of these people on this side over here who get all obsessed that they have figured it out and they have cracked the code and they can tell you the answer to the question. The answer to the question is, when, can, when is Jesus coming back? And if you propose that to them, they will pull out all of these timelines and diagrams to plot out the last days. And those timelines and diagrams, honestly, for somebody who's really entrenched in Bible prophecy and the last days, those can be really complicated. And in my opinion, because I used to be obsessed with this, Sometimes with all of the speculation that as a follower of Jesus Christ that I start devoting to the question, when is Jesus coming back? I actually run the risk of bypassing or getting diverted from the heart of Jesus' teaching. Because here's the thing, when we start trying to figure out what's happening in our world and when is Jesus returning? It's mostly speculation. I mean, here, here's the thing. There may be a good heart that actually desires to see God come back. But a lot of the stuff that gets written, I think, is not real helpful. And the reason it's not helpful is because what a lot of people are writing and what a lot of people are saying about the end times and the rapture and the return of Christ, listen to me this morning, hear what I'm saying, it's speculation. It's speculation. Now, I know I've told you this uh, at least two times. But for those that don't remember and those that are here visiting with us and those that are joining us online, I've made reference from this stage about a book that was written back in the 80s. It was actually written and published in 1988. And again, this book actually took the prophecy world by storm. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you were to go to my office right now, and if you could actually get in there with all the papers on the floor and get over to my, my library that I would tell you, there are tons of books on Bible prophecy. But in 1988, there was a book that took the prophecy world by storm, and the book title was actually this, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Happen in 1988. In other words, the writer of that book gave 88 specific examples of why he believed that the return or the rapture was going to happen in 1988. And the author said, he said, we can't know the day and we can't, know the hour, we can't know the hour, but we can know the month and we can know the year. So the rapture of the church was supposed to happen, according to the, the writer of that book, in 1988. But it didn't happen. But you know what did happen in 1988? They sold a lot of those books. Because people were intrigued. People wanted to know. So the next year, the same author wrote another book called Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1989. And here's the thing that's interesting. Listen to me. It's, 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 it's almost funny. 
the same thing kept happening over the next several years. The books about the rapture just kept coming and coming and coming. Other people reason. Maybe, maybe you can, can't know the month or the year. But maybe you can know the generation in which it's supposed to happen. And you know when it was supposed to happen? It always happened in the generation in which that person was writing. So that was the catalyst to get them to sell books. Now listen to this. I want want you to listen to the details that I'm about to give you. There was a popular Christian writer who wrote how he in his life was being overwhelmed by the desolating earthquakes that were taking place in his lifetime. Sweeping fires. Distressing poverty. Political unrest, private bankruptcy, and widespread immorality. All of those things were abounding in the day in which he lived. All of those things were abounding and multiplying in the last days, which obviously indicated that the Lord was about to return immediately. And those were the words of William Miller, who wrote those words in 1843. And by writing those words and telling people that the return or the rapture or the return of Christ was imminent, he tragically disappointed tens of thousands of Christians that were following him. And because he said something was going to happen when it didn't happen, his followers were bitterly disillusioned. So we have all these people predicting this stuff. We have all these people writing this stuff. Some people obsess over it. And as people obsess over it, one generation comes, one generation goes. And my concern is this. My concern is the credibility of the gospel. When people who are seeking God and people who don't know God, when they hear this stuff or read this stuff, and they want to know. They want to know what's the deal with the end time. I'm talking about somebody who's, who's seeking God, somebody who doesn't know God. They want to know. They, they hear these predictions. They see it in the USA Today. They see it on CNN. They see it on Fox News where somebody will say something about, you know, all these things are happening. So it indicates that the rapture is about to happen, that Christ is about to return. They naturally want to ask the question, what's the deal with the end times in the church? And let me tell you this morning, and I, I, I'm telling you this this morning, or I'm, I'm teaching you this because I want you to understand. When somebody asks you the question that you see behind me, how do you respond? When somebody has made all of this speculation, and time and time again, the speculation never comes to fruition. What do you say? I mean, how are you supposed to respond to that? When many people in the church look so silly predicting this stuff. 
And time and time again, the very things that they predicted, those things never happened. Well, let me tell you what's helpful. To answer that question, I'm going to tell you the best way that you can answer that question is to go back to the words of Jesus. Because Jesus, as it relates to that question, was very clear. He was not only very clear, he was crystal clear in my opinion. And he says right before he ascends to heaven in the book of Acts, look at what he says. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set up by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says in another place, Mark 13, I don't think this is going to be on the screen, but here's what he says. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels of heaven, in heaven know that, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, be alert, because you do not know when that time will come. When is Jesus coming back? We do not know. But the thing that we do know is this. He said, I will come again. When is Jesus coming back? We don't know, but we do know what he says. He does not say, therefore, speculate. Do you know that? The Bible does not say, therefore, speculate about when it's going to happen. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to kind of give you a puzzle. I'm going to give you a quiz. Now you go out there and figure it out. He doesn't say, go out there and try to figure it out. He didn't say, try to read the circumstances in your day and in your time like you're, you know, kind of reading tea leaves or something. He was very emphatic. He was crystal clear when he said, it is not for you to know. In other words, when is the rapture going to happen? Jesus told me, it's not for me to know. Does that give you some peace? It does give me some peace. It's not for me to know. But he did say, it will happen like a thief in the night. That's why I've been telling you, get your life in order, get, get ready. If it happens tonight or tomorrow or a thousand years from now, if you've gotten your life in order and you're right with God where you need to be, does it matter? It doesn't matter at all. But Jesus said, it's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen like a thief in the night. He says, be yielded to my spirit. Be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. In other words, what he's saying, be yielded to my spirit. Be about my work. Be my witnesses. And so this morning, I want you to understand. That's what we need to do. We do not need to be a church that engages in foolish speculation. Do you hear what I'm saying? We do not need to be a church that engages in foolish and unbiblical speculation. We will do what the Scripture says until Jesus returns, until the rapture happens. You know what we will do as a church, and you know what we will do as followers of Jesus? We will watch and we will pray.
we will watch and pray. We will be steadfast and immovable in the works of God. So that when he comes, and listen to me this morning, he will come. And when he comes, he will come like a thief in the night. And you know what? It may be today. Or it may be tomorrow. Or you know what? It might be a thousand years from now. But we want to live in such a way that when he comes, we can say as best we can that we were about his work. That we did, Jesus, what you wanted us to do. So you have some people that kind of obsess over this stuff. And I'm going to tell you, when you obsess over the rapture or the return of Christ, or you get too caught up in the last days, I'm going to tell you, listen, it's not really helpful. You need to watch and pray. You need to be prepared. You need to get your life right. And I'm going to tell you, God's spirit, God's hand has not moved off of me to keep me from telling you that at the at the end of the message. Because you are actually seeing the book of Revelation played out in front of you. People get obsessed about it. Don't get obsessed about it because it's not helpful. But see, here's the other camp over here is that when you talk about the end times or you talk about the last days, a lot of people that I talk to, including a lot of people in the church, when you talk about the rapture or the second coming of Christ or the last days or the end times, you know what a lot of people do? Listen, 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 listen. A lot of people go into avoidance mode. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Let me tell you, I have talked to many people who, have, who are following Jesus. They are God-loving, Jesus-loving, Jesus-serving, giving people who have picked up the book of Revelation, and because of what they started to read, they put it back down. Any of you ever tried to read the book of Revelation? Oh, can I just stop you right here? It's the book of Revelations, not Revelations. It's Kroger, not Kroger's. It's Walmart, not Walmart's. It's the book of Revelation. Because a lot of people's response are when you ask them about the book of Revelation, they say, you know, I, Randy, I just can't understand it. I just can't understand it, Randy. I mean, I, mean, I tried, but uh, there are all those bizarre images that, that, that are talked about and all these strange creatures. I mean, think about it. If you've ever read through it, you've got the beast and you've got the blood and you've got the bowls of sulfur. You've got people eating scrolls. You've got bottomless pits. You've got dragons. Now, I don't want your mind to wander when I say this next one. There's the great whore of Babylon, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's war, there's pestilence, there's famine, there's death. I mean, it doesn't seem like the book of Revelation is going to be a real enjoyment, does it? It doesn't sound like it's going to be a really happy book to read. Honestly, when I was thinking about that this morning, I thought, you know what? It sounds like an episode of the Game of Thrones. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It sounds like an episode of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. I mean, that's what it sounds like. A lot of people have never actually tried to read through the book of Revelation. 
So this morning, what I want to do as a church, I want to encourage you, maybe this week, start reading the book of Revelation. And one of the reasons why I'm going to tell you to read the book of Revelation is because it's just a good thing to do. I mean, it's just a good thing for you to do. But I want to give you two other reasons. The first of those two other reasons why I believe you ought to read the book of Revelation, the very book that many of you in this room have avoided, is simply this. You need to read it because it's actually in the Bible. You need to read it because it's in the Bible. Just take a minute and think about it. Because one day in heaven, you're going to be strolling on those streets of gold, and you're going to be, you know, going down through there with your Mountain Dew in your hand and, you know, just, have, I mean, having a good time. There's going to be Mountain Dew in heaven. I firmly believe that. And you're going to run up on John the Revelator, who actually wrote the book of Revelation. And John's going to look at you and he's going to say, Randy, how'd you like the book I wrote? Did you really enjoy, I mean, wasn't it cool? I mean, didn't you like all those images and all those bizarre things? I mean, did you really understand it? How'd you like it? Wouldn't it be embarrassing to you look, for you to look in the face of John the Revelator and say, you know what, I got scared, I didn't even read it. John, it was so weird, I, did, I, I, I couldn't even read it. Let me tell you this morning, one of the marks of growing as a follower of Jesus one of the things that marks a growing church is that the follower of Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ studies the whole counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation. We don't just look at those passages that we treat as our own special pet passages. Studying the whole counsel of God is the very reason that Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Look at what he says. I want you to see this, and I want you to notate this in your spirit. Paul said all Scripture is good. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training up in righteousness. All Scripture is good. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means everything from Genesis to Revelation. And see, I, I know too many times that people say, well, you know, I'm not so sure about this part of the Bible. I'm not so sure about that part of the Bible. What does it say? Let, let's say those four words together. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's five words. And is useful. Notice what Paul says. He says, all Scripture. That doesn't mean just the New Testament. It doesn't just mean the books that you like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It means everything. Genesis to Revelation. So the first reason why I'm telling you you need to read the book of Revelation is because it's in the Bible. The second reason why I think that it's good for you to read the book of Revelation is because it carries a promise. If you will read the book of Revelation, it carries the promise of blessing. 
See, most people don't even know that. But if you read the book of Revelation, it carries the promise of blessing. Revelation is the only book, listen, 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 is the only book in the New Testament that does that. And John says at the very beginning, look at what he says. Here's what he says, Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take heart to what is written in it because, look at what he says, because the time is near. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But there's a blessing attached to this. There's a blessing attached to this. We need to know the hope that we live for. Maybe the most important thing to say about the end times is this. That for all of us who know Jesus, Jesus, it's not the end at all. Right? I mean, maybe that's what we need to say about the end times. That for all who follow Jesus, they're actually not the end at all. They're actually just the beginning. The return of Jesus is the only thing in the entire world that is really worth hoping for. If you follow him. In the New Testament, there are some 300 references to the return of Jesus or the day of our Lord. There are over 300 references to the return of Jesus or the day of our Lord. These references are the very thing that have kept people going in the worst of times. Isn't that what's keeping some of you going right now with this pandemic and all this political mess we got going on? These are the things that have kept people going. Because this will be the time that he's going to come. And let me tell you, when he comes, he's going to set everything right. Let me just say that this is important. Because if you don't understand this, you won't hope for it. And if you're not hoping for it, then you're going to make a mistake. And that mistake is pinning your help, your hope on other things. So the Bible uses these images, these wonderful images, to talk about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. Maybe the most amazing image is of a groom who is coming for his bride. And John starts out by writing this in Revelation 19, verse 7. Here's what he says. Look at what he says. He says, let us rejoice and be glad. In other words, what, Jesus, what, what John is saying about the return of Jesus, he's saying, wait, 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 the last days, the end times, this is not bad news. Because a lot of times when people think about the end, they think, oh my gosh, it's going to be heavy and it's going to be bad and it's going to be dark and it's going to be mean and it's going to be bad. It's not bad. It's not dark. Look at Revelation, the entirety of Revelation 19, verse 7. Here's what he says. He said, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, maybe you don't think of the coming of Jesus as something that you long for. Maybe you don't think the second coming of Christ 
And everything associated with that is something that you long for. And if that's the case, let me tell you a story. I, I have a friend who has a young boy, like six years old. And, and you know what's interesting about having kids that are young? They have their favorite people. And this little six-year-old boy, the most favorite, the most wonderful, the most awesome person in this little six-year-old boy's life is his dad. He loves his daddy better than anything. And my friend told me, his son said things like, Daddy, when I grow up, can I still stay here at home and live with you and Mommy? I mean, think about it. The kid is six years old. And if he's six years old, then you kind of understand it's useless to try to tell him that at the age of six, a day might actually come down the road that he might actually want to leave the house. I mean, not that the house or the home would be necessarily bad, but that something inside of him would change and he would grow up. And that, day, that the day would come that he would want to leave the house and that he would want to go off on his own. I mean, maybe even that, six year little, that little six-year-old boy would grow up and the time would come when he would want to go off and start his own family. And there's no use telling him that because, let me tell you, you wouldn't tell a six-year-old that because he's just so young. Because he would never understand that there may be a time come when he would meet a woman in his life who was as fun and smart and entertaining or that he could ever love as much as he loved his daddy. And I know to some of you that sounds a little bit far-fetched, but all of you in the room and all of you watching online, every one of us that are parents know that someday, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday the day is going to come when those little children that God has given us are going to grow up. And when they grow up, listen to me, listen. And when they grow up, it's then that they will understand. And sometimes that growing up, it involves a wedding. And then what used to be a little boy or a little girl, they come to their mom or their dad and they say, you know what, I've met him, I've met her. I was meant for them. He's my destiny. I love him. I love her. I've got to be with them. I can't imagine living my life without them. So the thing that I'm trying to help you understand this morning is this. You were made for eternity. You were made for eternity. And maybe you don't think you long for Jesus to come back. But the Bible says that the story of history is the story of a groom that awaits his bride. 
And it's no accident that this is the way that God paints the picture that this is the desire that he has for us. And the longings that we should have for him, the longings of a bride and a groom. Because no other connection reaches as deeply as the oneness between a bride and groom was meant to. No other passion is nearly intense as the passion that exists between the bride and the groom. See, people don't jump off bridges because of their cousin died. If their friend shoots another friend, they, they don't shoot both of them. The passion that spousal love evokes is instinctive. It's irrational. And it's intense. Because eternity with God will be amazing. Unfortunately, though, when many of you think about the return of Jesus, when you think about heaven, when you think about eternity, you know what you think about in your mind? You know what I thought about in my mind when I started to think about heaven? I thought about a Baptist reception. I grew, I grew up in the Baptist church. You know, you, you ever been to a Baptist reception, a church reception, most of the receptions that churches have? People awkwardly standing around in the fellowship hall with styrofoam plates and styrofoam cups in their hand. That's what I kind of thought heaven was going to be like. Let me tell you, that ain't what it's going to be like. If that's the way you think of eternity, you can't think of eternity that way. If you want to think about what eternity is going to be like, go home this afternoon, get on YouTube, and Google a Jewish wedding. That's what eternity is going to be like. Eternity is going to be like a Jewish wedding. If you want to know the reality of eternity, that's it. Jeremiah 31 says, In heaven there will be dancing. Isaiah 25 says there will be feasting. You know what Luke 22 says? Listen, listen, listen. Luke 22 says that Jesus is not going to pop the cork until you get there. And right now, you may not get that clearly. But the day will come. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. But the day will come when you will be fully grown. And you will see him. And when you see him, you will understand him. And so will I. And God. God himself. The one we now glimpse dimly from a distance. We will see him face to face. And when we see him face to face, we will grasp his pure goodness. And we will grasp his transcendent beauty. And in that moment, you will know, this is why I was made. It's what you've been aching for. It's what you've been longing for. It's what you've been missing for your whole life. This is the very thing that God has been wooing us for. Then you will know. Then you will know. 
Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us this blessed hope. Help us to think about it. Help us to understand it rightly. Help us not to fall into the trap of pinning our hopes on stuff that's too small. Help us not to fix our ultimate hope on what kind of job or what kind of relationship or what kind of house or what kind of 401k or, or, or anything like that. Help us, God, to fix our ultimate hope only on the things worth ultimately hoping for. God, we thank you that one day we will see you face to face. And when we do, everything will make sense. Until then, we watch and pray. Until then, we do the things that you've called us to do. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.